1: okay a camper a rock star and a promoter walk into a podcast studio it's like we've been at Comedy Fantasy Camp all week, isn't it? We're at Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp now. This is Rock Camp, the podcast, the first ever episode of it. I'm Miles Schumann. I grew up going to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. We'll get into my whole story. I'm here with Britt Lightning from Vixen, the musical director at Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, whose story we'll also get into. David is the founder of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp.
2: I see you went to Comedy Fantasy Camp. I oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. I think I'm I...
1: impressed. That's a great opening
2: line.
1: <laughs> David and Britt, this podcast is something we've been talking about doing for so long. There's so much material behind Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. David, I guess this is kind of a good place to start. So much of that material has been locked in a vault for 30 years. You've been keeping it locked away. Why is that and what is the vault?
2: Well, the vault has 90 terabytes of information and video and Q&As and the jams of the past, not 30 years, but about 27 years. And when we were putting together the documentary, we took everything and we put together a major, some, a lot of great stuff, you know, you've been pulling
1: through. And, and I didn't even realize I have. I thought it's about time that we should get it out there. It's like it's the biggest names in rock and roll or something, and we have them all here. David, your history in Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp's history really started with the biggest names in rock and roll. You were representing Ringo Starr when the idea came up. There's a really funny story around the origin, and actually I have a clip from Joe Walsh where he tells the story. We're going to listen to that right now. We set him up completely, and Levon and I were screaming at each other when he walked in,
3: all preplanned. And everybody else was panicking. And Billy Preston was hiding behind his road case, crying. (laughs) And uh, we had uh, one of those sugar beer cans, uh, beer bottles. And uh, I pushed Levi and and, uh, he pushed me back. And then I think I started going for a knife or something. Anyway, he took the beer bottle and broke it on his road case so it was a broken bottle and came over and stabbed me <laughs> but it was this prop, uh, prop bottle and i had fake blood <laughs> and so i started
1: bleeding profusely and david was just what can you tell us about that time i mean that's a legendary story well they got me good
2: you know right. i almost had the heart attack they were laughing their asses <laughs> off it was the fourth show of Ringo and the All Star Band Tour. I put this tour together over 30 years ago with a concept of surrounding Ringo with a bunch of all star musicians. And everyone told me it's never going to work. You know, you're never going to get all these people to be in one band and to agree and to tour. You know, you can do it as live aid. They've done it for concerts and benefits, but to get people to go actually on tour from city to city and all those egos involved and I think Joe Walsh said another great line. He said, you know, we were a very democratic band. whatever Ringo said we did. It was amazing how much they all came together and they loved him and they all wanted to do this tour. I mean, Joe Walsh gave up the Who tour to be with his friend Ringo. They all came together and after the fourth show, they decided they're going to play a joke on me because I was a square one. You know, they're all 10 years older than me. And here I am, never been on the road, never toured really, never went on a full tour. And here I am on the plane with them. And ringo and his wife and, and just a band we had no managers no agents no one on the it was just us on the plane and it was an incredible experience and at the fourth show at the garden state arts center ringo had said to me you know a wanna play radio city you know so i invited <laughs> my friend eddie my who was the president of radio city at the time and I asked him to come see the show, and we're having dinner, and all of a sudden, Nils Lofgren walks by the table and says, "Fisher, I'm out of here. I said, what? I had mortgaged my home. I mean, I'm a typical promoter. I had to put up my house in Manhattan to send the deposit to Ringo and to all the artists. And then all of a sudden, Clarence Clements walks by. He says, I'm out of here too, Fisher." I said, what's going on? He says, you know, this idea is never going to work. There's too much fighting here. They're fighting about songs. He says, you better go down there. Levon Helm and Joe Walsh are bloodied and they're killing each other and they're fighting. You better go and straighten this thing out. So I told Eddie, hold on, I'll be right back. And I go running downstairs to the dressing room. First of all, I'm looking for Ringo. He's nowhere to be found. You know, let him straighten these guys. He could talk to them better. You know, it's his band, you know, I'm just a, he knows these guys and I can't find them. And the security guard says, you better go in. And I walk in and I see Levon Helm with a glass bottle and blood. I see Joe Walsh with a knife and blood. And they're fighting with each other and they're pushing each other. And I walk in, I'm like, I'm going to lose my home. So I'm scared at the highest butt. Are you guys a bunch of babies? What are you doing? And I, and I walk over to them and then Levon pushes me and Joe pushes me. And then they both turned around and they smiled and they stuck their tongues out at me. Now, <laughs> it was the funniest thing for them. Jim Keltner, he filmed it. The great drummer, Jim Keltner, Billy Preston's there. Rick Danko. They're all in the room, all the all the whole band. And they're just laughing. And I was scared. You know, I thought I had lost my
1: home. I thought I lost everything. It
2: was it was a, an amazing
1: Yeah, and it's a legendary video too. There's a video on YouTube. It's on YouTube.
2: It's in the movie. And I kept trying to think how am I gonna get these guys back. I had so many ideas I want to do back to them. But in the end, it was out of love. Joe is probably the biggest prankster in rock and roll. I mean, Joe always likes to have his tour manager in the room next to him. He came back to his room one day and he went to sleep, and there was ice under his mattress, under his sheet. (laughs) You know, he's just a fun guy when it comes to doing pranks. Well, that's when I got the idea to do Rock and Roll Fans Camp. I said look how much fun these people have. And they're just, how can I give this to people to see this fun experience? And I traveled them for three months. We went out to Japan and it was really interesting for me to see how great these rock stars are. You know, for many years, rock stars always got a bad reputation, whether they're throwing TVs out, the, you know, their drugs. And I'm saying that these are the greatest people. They're so talented, they're so fun. And I think when they toured with Ringo, Everyone's on their best behavior. Here I am with a Beatle. I'm going to behave, and I'm going to just go have fun. And I said, if I could translate this and give this to people and create a rock and roll fantasy camp for people, and that, that's really where
1: I got the idea. Did you tell Ringo the idea when you thought of it originally? Oh,
2: absolutely. I told him. I said, I got to do this as a camp. We were driving by. I said, you oh, see the Holiday Inn? That's where rock and roll began. That's where you should do
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. He was pointing it to the Holiday Inn. We're in the van. You know. Right. That's really the origins of it. Planning Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp must be quite the process for each one. And I mean, you two are the are the main people to do it. What goes into actually making one of these camps happen? Wow, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work. Yeah, right. It's a lot of work. I, I mean, how, okay, let's start with this. So like, how does a camp I'm form? I'm so ADD yeah. that I
2: cannot stop my brain from thinking of the next idea, next day, what can I do to blow these campers away?
0: It's true. I get emails from him at three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning. <laughs> oh, I've them too. <laughs> I got them. Yeah. I,
2: I, my mind's always thinking, you know, what more can I do? And, and, I, and I love it. I love the passion I have. I look at it, I'm going to change someone's life. I know something is great is going to come out of the camp. So it's all good, good stuff. So I come up with these ideas and I share them with Britt, and she'll usually straighten me out and say, "This is good, that's good." And you know, my funny is I love when I I share with her about let's do a Polish polka fantasy camp, and she said, "Oh, that's a great idea." You know, she's always saying all my ideas are great. <laughs> she helped me put the the bands in the right genres and what bands work together and what things don't work together. But I think it's coming up with the stars coming up with the names and then lately we've been having success coming up with themes you know we did a Led Zeppelin camp that had a great response you know well we weren't going to get Led Zeppelin but we got musicians who had played Led Zeppelin and, and who love Led Zeppelin and whose music whether it was Stone Temple Pilots or from Soundgarden great. Um, yeah the
0: Kemp Kim Thiel, Kim
2: Thiel and, uh, and we had
0: Carmine Appice who, who had a relationship a on Bonham.
2: Carmine Appice who had a, Carmine piece piece a, a well. relationship oh, yeah. so um, you know that was great uh, we're looking forward to the upcoming ACDC Theme camp with Nancy Wilson. So we'll do heart music, we'll do some type of pilot Chris music. Chris Slade, right? And from Chris AC/DC. Slade was in the band. So, you know, it's really coming up with the idea and then choosing the dates and the locations and seeing where the artist is available to do it. And then put counselors, you know, which are the right counselors that can go. And we have so many amazing counselors and i know you're gonna ask me later who's the worst one who's the best one that's kind of a good time to go it's into that time, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> a lot of amazing ones yeah so i can only tell you that Lita ford has taken a band for four days and she was awesome and we've got so many great ones right. and, but you know everyone asks me who's the worst one you know though and naturally who's gonna ask that the london times because we did a camp in london and they said, the London reporter, all oh, those magazines, the stars and all that, they love to get to the dirt. I had said, uh, Peter Torque and Peter Tork of the Monkeys was a really good friend. And, you know, that was my big success in 86 with the Monkeys. And Peter called me up and day, I want to be a counselor. I said, Peter, you're sure you want to be a counselor? Said, it takes a lot of work. As Sammy Hagar says in the film, working at Rock and Roll Fans Camp is hard. Yeah. And, and you got to really be. Personal people. And and I know Peter. He's he was always very standoffish to the fans and he loved the fans, but it was a lot for him. Came to camp and it was a lot, you know. It's a lot because everybody wanted to ask him a lot of questions and do monkey songs. And I finally had to call Sandy and say, "Sandy, he needs help." So he was a tough counselor for me. I think the lead singer of Rat—I don't know if it's Rat or one of those bands—he thought it was going to be easy, and it, it, it wasn't a great. So I've had some counselors that really just haven't done a great job, and they wanted to do it, they felt they could do it, but it really takes someone who has patience to teach. You know, you say Rudy Sarzo, he's been one of the best. He's got a lot of patience. You know, Britt has a lot of patience with people. I think you, you've got to have a musician who wants to do this because they want to give back and they love to teach. I mean, Billy Sheehan is such a great example. I mean this guy's a superstar bass player, probably one of the greatest in the world. And and he loves to teach and he loves to come to camp. And he says, when I don't have a date going on, I'll come teach at rock and roll fantasy camp. So it's someone who has the passion to to share music. So we have had great ones. But, you know, I remember telling the, the guy <laughs> complained to me about Peter Torque, and I said, Listen, he's a, one of the monkeys. He's one of the greatest musicians and one of the greatest bands. So, and while you come to camp, you have to see the truth too, what some musicians are. You know, this is. Real rock and roll. So it's not going to be la-di-da all the time.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of rock and roll reality in the fantasy too. Absolutely, sure. Right.
3: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them.
1: I've only ever had great counselors when I've come to rock camp, The one time I had Bruce Kulick who I loved. I thought he was a great counselor. Oh, he's tough. But he's tough. He's a perfectionist. I've I'll met- never
2: forget when the owner of Oracle came, Ed Oates came, yeah.
1: and he had and he had um, Bruce Kulick. And you know, he came with
2: five friends, the first camp, and you know, he could sort have of come in with five friends and he started Oracle. I mean that's big. Oh yeah. And he turns to Bruce and says, You know, I want to do this song by by the band. And Bruce says, Excuse me, sir, but I have to teach this song to five people you got to relax. And at the end of camp, he said, I learned how to be part of a team, how to be mm-hmm. part of a band. And, and he eventually and he said, I want to invest in Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And Ed became such a great friend. But I think that y- you cannot compare being a musician to any other kind of running a business. It's just so different, right, Britt? Now, <laughs> yeah. you've done the world of business. You've done music it's just the people are different the the way to be successful is different
0: yeah absolutely and there's that passion so like for with anything in the arts sometimes your passion can completely override all intelligence yeah. like the normal yeah. the normal thing that you know is right but it doesn't matter you throw it all out the window because because right. you want this and it means so much to you and it comes from the heart so right. there's emotions versus intellect and it's like always oh, a tug of war I yeah
1: think. yeah um real quick i'll say this is my quick bruce Kulick story i met his brother bob later and i said hey bob i had your brother bruce as a counselor at rock and roll fantasy camp he just looks at me and goes my condolences and walks right away so <laughs>
2: but i have to give it up to, up to bruce too because you know when roger Dolce came as a guest you know roger said to me and you know, i want to sing you know his whole thing one of the reasons he loves doing camp is two reasons he said number one i love that you give these other musicians jobs And he said, those sidemen really deserved. He's always respected those musicians. And number two, he likes to sing. You know, he he said, I gotta keep my voice going. And so he said to me, when can I rehearse with the counselors? I remember we were at SIR and he put the counselors through a three and a half hour rehearsal. (laughs) You believe three and a half hour rehearsal, and then Bruce Kulick came out of that rehearsal room and He said, "I just went to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. I got to jam three and a half hours." And and the same thing with um, Jack Bruce. You know, he I remember him taking the counselors. Also, Bruce Kulick also said that to me. He said, "Man, I got to jam with Jack Bruce." You know, so for many of the counselors, they also get an opportunity. I mean, uh, Kip Winger was playing with Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck did not know who Kip Winger was. Roger Dolce did not know who Kip Winger was. And Roger comes over me and says, who's that bass player? And you know,
1: the counselors, it's a fantasy, too, isn't it, Britt?
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: It can lead to gigs for counselors even, too, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. Rock and
0: Roll Fantasy Camp is amazing for networking for everybody. Right. We not only do you meet other people that you might form bands with, but, yeah, you get touring opportunities. And you, just like you, Miles, you might be this unknown bass player, and all of a sudden one of the counselors sees you, and he's like, oh, my God, well, my band's actually looking for a new bass player.
1: Well, you've never heard me play bass. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but
0: Derek Holmes, no, no, no. Well, I got an all-girl band, so, right. you know, you're going to really have to work on the hair first anyhow. Derek Holmes came to see me
2: home when we did out. that all-girls girls camp and he, right? he oh he that. loved it he, he loved, loved it and, and derek holmes said to me he i was internationally so i want to come have dinner with you and he came in at dinner with me because i was taking out some of the husbands and he said david i always never really got to thank you but my first camp i was at your first camp and i met mark farner and mark farner took me on the road for two years And it was a time when I had lost my wife and and I just needed to work. And I love working with my idol, Mark Farner. I think one of the funniest stories is I had a camper who came to camp and um, he owned a restaurant and uh, the guys from Night Ranger, Jack Blades, um, the guy's restaurant closed. And the guy's now is, Jack plays
1: his tour manager. Wow.
2: <laughs> he went from owning a restaurant to
1: the Night Ranger tour manager, he's still there. My friend, Leah Bluestein, who is an incredible drummer. I met her when I think we were both around 12 or 13 years old. Her at brother Rock was Camp. an
2: amazing guitar player. Her brother
1: was an amazing guitar player. You know, she had just, I think, kind of started playing drums. Hadn't really found her place with it yet. Vinny was trying to help her, Rudy was helping her. She's a new drummer in Eagles of Death Metal. I Eagles mean, it's Delta. like- And I
2: never promised, you know, that's one thing over the years. You know, people call up, Will this help my career. I never want to ever promise anyone that it's gonna be a career uh, builder or anything like that because, you know, I always hate that when they did these Hollywood and these model programs, oh, and promising people. I, I never wanna do that because it's really up to that individual person how much they wanna grab from the camp to go ahead to the next level.
0: And what you always say, I love this quote, is that people think, oh, you know, they got lucky, but it's not about luck. It's luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So if you come to camp and you're prepared for it, there's an opportunity there. So it's not guaranteed, but you know, it happens.
2: And you know, Miles, we, we tell the people to tell us when you sign up. You know, how good you are? You're an intermediate, a beginner, an advanced. And it's always so funny because I remember going to a couple of the musicians over the years. I said, this guy really great? Because he says he's advanced. He said, David, I play my instrument five hours a day. I practice drums. I play keyboards. I play uh, my guitar. I can keep my fingers going. You can't just play on the weekends and be, uh, you know, you have to really play your instrument.
1: Oh, absolutely. What about the dynamics within the camper bands? I mean, Britt, as a counselor, is there infighting in the bands? I mean, how does it work?
0: Yeah, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen uh, bands that really are just like a family right away and they really just bond and are all encouraging for each other and want everybody to shine and be the best and then you have people that just want the spotlight and like, you know, you get lead singers with LSD, lead singer's disease (laughs) and uh, they just kind of hog it all or one guitar player that wants to take all the solos and um, you got to learn to work together as a band just like in real life you know so we we let them hash it out and it's interesting but you know we're always there to kind of help moderate if things get a little out of control but
2: and and usually after the fourth day they come together because they're nervous but you know at the last camp in new york we had a lady who's come to a few camps and she wanted to be the lead singer of a band and and she just exploded and and left in the middle and you know i had that happen one only one or two times over the 26 27 years that we've had camp that's part of rock and roll and if you have that experience you can imagine that a lot, a lot of bands have broken up and just take it in as an experience because that's what rock and roll is. And then you have the love fest. Oh, yeah. And that to me is is the people coming with the right
1: attitude. Right.
0: Yeah, and there's always a love fest at the end. There then is. it's like, I, and that. I always say, you know, it's like it's like trauma bonding. You know, you got like veterans from wars that stay together, friends forever. It's kind of like that because you go through <laughs> so much at rock and roll fantasy camp. Like you just you the four days seems like a lifetime. It's like and we've gone from this little part, uh, you know, we started here and now we're on top of this mountain over here. And it's just long journey over the four days That see that really changes your life hours yeah so and your
2: fingers are hurting and i love it when people say they're tired because i know i'm so tired oh yeah i remember the feeling when i came back from tour touring all those years with ringo i'd have to stay in my bed for four days five days just to rely the same feeling coming out of camp but i want people to have that feeling like it feels like we're on tour yeah, and uh, I think they they get that feeling.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's why the post camp depression, as they call it, becomes a thing. Everyone goes home on Monday; it's back to reality, and it's not so fun.
2: I have a camper who went to see his therapist once, and he and he, was, he came to camp, and then um, he comes back about three years later. And I said, what brought you to camp? I go to therapy every week. And and the therapist, uh, I would tell him, I got to get that feeling back. Well, the therapist took his money for three years and then finally says to him, you know, you should go back to that camp. <laughs> 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 that would have been a lot cheaper than coming to
1: camp. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. You can always find a therapist at camp, too. I mean, we got uh, people from all well walks You know, rock camp
0: is actually a form of therapy, it, I It, is. Would say. it really is. Property. Yeah,
1: It really is. There's nothing like it. Brit, are there any specific stories as a counselor that, I mean, what's the worst situation you've ever had to remedy as a counselor?
0: Ooh. Um, you know, mostly just like disputes over songs. You know, I really, I came here just because I wanted to play uh Crazy Train with Zach Wild, you know, or, you know, so, okay, well, other people had a different ideas. So how do we work this together? Or some people really want to make it their own band, want to make it with their original music. And some people just want to, you know, play the songs that the camp is themed after that they're excited to jam. So there's things like that. Um, There's, I've seen tears, I've seen fights, I've seen the whole thing, but, um, but really it does, it just all works out in the end. It, every Every time. Right.
2: We saw two ladies you know, going women, at it. Yeah, going at it yeah. afterwards, yeah. I have to keep them coming to separate camps, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was quite interesting, <laughs> but... Uh, but that's
0: why it's going to be a reality show. That's why yeah. it's Because be reality, there so. is never a dull moment. Yeah. All hey, like well,
2: right. Well, how about you? You know, you've gone to camp. What are some of your funny stories? Yeah, well, you know, the kid... A camper, have, yeah, the... a rock star, and a promoter go uh, to that, camp. That's let's, right. Let's on <laughs> the camper. What do you have to say?
1: <laughs> you know, I've always had... I've been very lucky with all of my bands. I think once I had one singer, and it was kind of one of those situations where it was like four kids in the band and then one adult singer and she felt a little weird with us because we were the better musicians. I mean, come on. I've gotten very lucky with all of my band situations, but I will say my best camp story ever is when you decided to have a camp at the Playboy Mansion. That was a legendary time. It was unbelievable. I guess before I even go into that, we should get into what's the origin of that? How did you get a camp at the Playboy Mansion?
2: So Cow out of Chicago, become a really good friend and he loves to come to camp because he gets an opportunity to uh, hang out with these rock stars who he usually gets three seconds to on the radio. So he said, I get to hang with Rudy Sarzo and I get to hang with, he, he met Mickey Dolan's at camp. And so he just loves to come and, and shadow me. And I love having him because I admire him. I think he's one of the greatest DJs out there, radio personalities, how he could take a, a show and just, uh, you know, how crazy he is. He's I'm, great. Yeah. He's unbelievable. Yeah, And um, so he calls me up, uh, he comes to the camp and on one Sunday, he says to me, it was like five o'clock, the afternoon, come on, you want to go to the uh, Playboy Mansion? And I said, I got my closing show here. He said, but, uh, Playboy Mansion, you know, I'm not an idiot. Yeah, let me think about it. And I remember Courtney used to run my camps. Yeah. And she did a great job. And Courtney said, to me, David, just go. So, I said, "Okay, now the guy's name was Kevin Burns, and he produced the TV show um the playboys the you know, the show that was at the
1: uh, the, no, the bunny or yeah yeah, with I all Hef's girlfriends and no 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 they all half's girlfriends, yeah, yeah, and um, girls next door the girls next door, yeah,
2: so um you know manko says, hey, we're gonna go up to Hef's, Hef's house Sunday night he's got a party night there it's really movie night, you know, where he shows a new movie. So, he's, so, he says, I'm picking you up and Kevin and I are going to come pick you up. Well, Kevin had this convertible and I remember saying, let's go. And, and I I went and I sat in the back of the convertible and we're driving up there and I'm going back complaining. Do I tell my wife I'm going to Playboy Mansion? That's always i <laughs> nervous, you know. Oh, what's my wife going to say? I'm going to the Playboy Mansion and then mm-hmm. the camp, I didn't care. Courtney said, I got it, David. I'll take care of it. So, we get up to the Playboy Mansion and it was quite interesting. We walk into a room. And I thought it was, it was dinner. And I thought I was going to see all these beautiful models, but it turned out it looked like a nursing home. It was all Hess friends. <laughs> it was all these old men that were playing cards. And then there was another couple there from Israel, and they were advertisers, you know, people who advertised in the magazine invited. And there was another, uh, there was a Jewish comic, I, f- I forgot his name, he passed away, Larry Storch. Larry uh-huh, I, uh-huh, so I was sitting sure. next to me and there was the guy from Manhattan transfer. And I mean, it really looked like an old age. It was like, I'm back in the Catskills. <laughs> right. And, but <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I said to myself, wow, this is the Playboy Mansion. I said, you know, the, the allure, let me do a camp here. And that's when I got the idea from my first time as a Playboy man. I remember going into the bathroom and, and stealing the um the papers because it had the logo, you know, mm-hmm. the the note paper. I guess when Hef had an idea and he sat on the toilet, you know, he'd write it down. So wow. I took his paper and <laughs> and I just, you know, went around and then and I was so much fun laughing with Mankow, you know, and, and we didn't even go watch the movie. That was boring. Yeah. Um <laughs> but uh, so I said this would make a great camp. So I, I looked into it and I met the, the guy who runs it, Hank and I approached him. We said, fine, gave me a price, and we picked a date. I went to Paul Stanley. I said, would you do the Playboy Mansion? He said, yes. And it was for the final night. The final night, you're gonna play live at the Playboy Mansion. Now you can imagine, everyone that signed up said to their, you know, their, their wives, honey, I got a gig at the Playboy Mansion, I gotta go. And the women would say, I wanna go. Because right. all the wives, 70% of women watched have show. Mm. And so it was really big on the women. And uh, never forget, He calls me, uh, Hank, on the Monday before, and he says, so you want to come up to the mansion and let's discuss the, the menu, what you're going to serve. So I go up there, and I'm excited to go up there. There's no one there. There's no one there. It's, you know, it's all birds and animals, and there's no girls. Yeah, they had huge peacocks and stuff the
1: peacocks, walking around. peacocks, he showed right. me
2: the animals. And, and then we sat down, and and he starts going over the menu with me. And then he said, how many people do you have? I said, well, I've got about 100 men and about uh, 35, 40 women, you know, the wives, and maybe 60 women and, and some rock stars. And he says, David, this is going to be a sausage fest. And I said, you know, I know I keep kosher, but you can serve sausages. I don't care what you <laughs> serve. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and he said, no, it's going to be a sausage fest. I said, I don't care, sir, whatever you want. i kept going back. And forth. He said, no, no, you need women. This is the Playboy Mansion. And for every guy, you got to have four women. So you need to have 300 ladies at least here to make it an event, you know, right. at the Playboy Mansion. And I said, what do you mean, 300 ladies? Well, who's going to have to pay? And you have to pay for them. You have to pay for their food and their alcohol. I said, I'm going to go bust. He says, Okay we'll keep it down to 100, 150, but you got to have women here. I said, well, how do I get them? And he says, well, you call this number, call this guy and he'll get them for you. So I called this guy up and he said, gave me a price, how much it's going to cost. And he's going to, put together a casting call to invite people to come to the Playboy Mansion so that we'd have all these ladies. And Hank said I, he was really nice to me, so I'm not going to charge you so much extra for the girls. And, wow. and that's how it happened. But that was quite crazy that uh, we had 100 guys and we had 300 women there. I love some campers said to me, oh, I picked up one of the girls at the Playboy Mansion, and she went home with me. And I, and I realized you know, what she does for a living. So, you know, <laughs> it wasn't such a big deal, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it was an incredible experience. Everybody wanted to, that camp sold out really fast. Oh, I'm sure.
1: So, And I'm in the fantasy business. So, you know, that's, that's why. Talk about a rock and roll fantasy. Talk about a fantasy in general. And your
2: mother, let you go to the Playboy Mansion 12
1: at, at 12 you know I was gonna say I mean why were kids even allowed at that thing but you know somehow because I was your mother
2: put a credit card down. yeah right
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and she yeah. wanted to go
1: and that's what it was that's really what it was she and my dad wanted to go and you know yeah. we were the excuse to go but I'll never forget you announced that camp and immediately I was like oh look at the next rock and roll fantasy camp it was no you're not you're never going to the Playboy Mansion and then it was really it was Rudy Sarzo he had become a friend of our families yeah. at that point and he called my mom and he said you should really let miles go to the playboy mansion he would see more at the beach than he would see at the playboy mansion and so she believed him and said okay fine you that, can go to are you start mansion. A, a woman, uh, that, uh, you're looking at the grotto yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. that was a, an awakening for a whole new world you
2: know what's crazy is that paul stanley calls me like two days before and he says i can't sing what do i do i said paul Just show up (laughs) and play guitar. (laughs) I said, I didn't want to tell them. They're coming there for the girls. (laughs) They're not coming to play with Paul Stanley. As much as, you know, they love you, uh, they were coming to to go to the Playboy Mansion.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll never forget, my brother and I walked into the Playboy Mansion, and he's looking at me, he's like, do you think Rudy Sarzo's ever actually been to the Playboy Mansion? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know, but Rudy Sarzo's definitely never been to a beach. That's for that much we know for sure. So the Playboy Mansion, I mean, as a 12-year-old, it's not that crazy because you're a 12-year-old. I was a tame 12-year-old, and everyone looked at me as a 12-year-old. And so I just – I had a great time as a kid at the Playboy Mansion. My brother was a teenager, so he got into a bit more of the Playboy Mansion stuff. But what a time. That will never happen again. I know. I know. it was quite a party. Someone said that they're tearing it down. I don't think they actually are. They are. are. They are? are. He's
2: tearing it down the neighbor. He's going to build a a bigger house on it. yeah, it will never happen. Did you ever go to the Playboy
0: Mansion, Brett? I did. I actually used to date somebody that worked for Playboy Golf, so oh, wow. I would go to all of the golf parties and all um, oh, the golf parties. Are I've wild. been in the grotto, and I'm still clean. Didn't catch anything, <laughs> believe it or not. So, um, right. <laughs> I, I don't
1: know if I am. I'll have to find out. But mm. I think so. It's been twelve years. <laughs> Part of the kind of idea behind this podcast is we want to bring people into Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. No one has to pay $5,000 to to listen to this podcast to get the actual experience. It's worth paying the $5,000 for it. Absolutely. Totally. Is. I mean, it's an Actually, people, you know, that's... You it, get...
2: It, it's a lifetime experience. It
1: is. It, it totally is. But this is the only way people can ever get the, you know, any type of the experience without paying for it on this podcast here. And so I think we should bring people into the world of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp a little bit. Part of what makes it what it is, obviously, is you're split up into the band and everything but you have these great master classes you have these great q a sessions you have these great jam rooms at the end of the day where you go jam with your other counselors and stuff and that's where a lot of the great camp stories come from. I mean, I got to be in a jam room with Ronnie Montrose weeks, weeks, maybe a month before he died. He taught me the baseline to the song. It was me, Ronnie Montrose, Mark Farner, Teddy Zigzag. That is a that's a valuable situation right there. I mean, that doesn't happen everywhere. So maybe you guys can talk a little bit about what's the best kind of time you've ever had in a jam session at camp, right? There's probably been some fantasy situations for you, too, Britt, as a rock star.
0: Yeah, I mean, you get in the room with people that wrote those classic hits that you love, and it's like, holy cow I'm playing this with somebody and then and like you said they'll tell you actually it's not like this this is what all the tab sites say but this is really how you play it you know a lot of people don't know that so you just it's, it is just amazing and you yeah you, you find yourself with these crazy lineups of members of different bands that would yeah, never happen in reality <laughs> right
1: and when you do the Q&A's they say no that's what Wikipedia says this is the I mean you get to actually get to know these people yeah.
2: I, I didn't realize Steven Tyler was a drummer his father was a drum teacher mm-hmm. right and the lessons that you learn in those q and A's, because again they're in a situation where they're with fellow musicians
0: right it's like safe it's like a safe environment
2: and no press even though we've taped them all. Uh, <laughs> and we're telling the secrets now. Right. But they're really in a safe environment. And you know, from Roger Daltrey on down, I went to said to Roger, do you want to do the Q and says, That's my favorite part. And he loves connecting and giving back to people. I love listening to the Q and A's because I'm not a musician. I can't yeah. play, but the, le- the life lessons that I learned, uh, two of them stand out to me um, is Joe Perry, where he turned to a guy and he said, what do you do for a living? The guy says, I'm a lawyer. And on weekends I play guitar in my band and he says, you're full of shit. He says, you're a guitarist first and you do that legal BS to pay for your guitars. And then I said, yeah, that's me. That's me. You know, I love that one. And then another one stands out to me was Paul Stanley. He's so honest. And, and someone asked him a question. I said, well, you know, what was it like to be a, a rock star and be raised? And what did your parents think? And he said, my mother, she, you know, she loved me and she admired what I was doing. My father, he thinks I'm a bum, you know, that I'm a musician, you know, uh, a billion dollars later, you know, but said father was, that's why his father looked at it. And he says, my father was jealous of me. And then the next day, I picked up the phone and I called him. I said, Paul, wait a minute. You say your father was jealous of you? I said, that just hit me. You know, I always thought my mother was favored my brother and he was older and he became the rabbi. You know, maybe my mother was jealous of my lifestyle and, yeah. and you know, as a son of a Holocaust survivor. and On the Playboy Mansion, here I am hanging out with rock stars. Yeah, I'm on the road with Ringo and, and leading my lifestyle. And, you know, I, I think there was some jealousy there and I think it just got to me. So I've learned so much, you know, and being on the road with Ringo for 15 years and hearing the conversations, um of life and you know that's one thing i love about artists and they're really honest with each other they're honest about life they write songs about every experience being around these people is really it's fascinating to me that's why i mean i wrote a book years ago "What you can learn from rock and roll stars because again i think i mentioned the beginning top of the podcast people always had a an image of a rock star is really different what the outside image is versus what the ins, what the who they really are, and what they're really about, and they're very giving people, very artistic people, very. They kind of have emotions because they can't write these
1: amazing songs if they didn't. And you get to know them as people, people, not just the rock stars. And that's so why that's I, I, I always know them yeah. yeah, that's the big thing. Right,
0: just people. That's what we always tell campers, too. Like, don't be afraid. You know, don't act awkward. They want you to just be cool and treat them right. like people. Like, you can go sit down and have a sandwich and have lunch next to Jerry Cantrell and talk to him. like not right? that
2: I got, yeah. Jerry Cantrell, <laughs> I mean, he blew me away. He came down and he sat down on the table and I said, what are you doing? He said, that's a rock and roll thing. They've told me. You know, they, many of these artists have told me, I just want to hang out with these musicians because I was one of them.
0: At Kim Thiel's first camp, um, yeah. you know, we, we had the jams and everything with him, the Q&A and all that. And then uh, we had pizza beer night. And he goes, hey, can I stay for the pizza beer night? I know I'm done, but can I stay? And we were like, of course you can stay. Well, not only did he stay for that, then he went back to the hotel. They He closed down the hotel bar, wow. hanging with all these campers. Then, then he went to the after party in one of the campers' hotel rooms. So, like, that is a whole rock and roll fantasy the next day the camper was telling me i was up till 4 a.m drinking beer shooting the shit telling stories from the road with my idol wow like that is a fantasy camp experience
1: yeah that's closer to the 80s rock and roll fantasy (laughs) camp experience
2: and nick mason you know i invited nick mason to come to to camp how did i get to nick mason well i had a camper came to my camp in london and her father was, was a big car collector after camp she told her father about the camp and he's best friends with Nick Mason because they both collect cars. Right, and gave me his email, and I contacted him. Nick came to camp, and next thing you know, I invited to come back on Thursday. I was on a schedule. He stayed Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He stayed four days, and he said, I never got to play a monkey song with Mickey Dolenz. I never got to play a song with Roger Daltrey. And he said, I love this thing. And then he said to me, he called me up two weeks later, do you mind if I write a story for GQ magazine? I said, no. And he wrote a amazing five-page story on the camp and his experience. So, again, that's that, I think that's why I've been around for so long, because if it wasn't for the rock star loving it, then, you know, it, it wouldn't work.
1: That being said, though, The Vault, the, this is something that we have been going through. I've been spending hours uh, in David's office as he's probably getting sick of me being in there as he's. No, I love and you. It's
2: reminding me of a lot of stories that I totally forgot.
1: Yeah, no, it's been great. Like we said, David has this vault. I've finally been going through it. We're just pulling so much good stuff out of it from rock stars over the last 25 years of camp. I want to play a clip right now from Brett Michaels when he came to camp. Rock and roll is two sides. There's a crazy fun party side, which is great. And, and, and then there's a side of it, which is going in and making the, bu- the not only making the music, but the business of making the music. You know what I mean? Knowing how to sign stuff and be, be, be in charge of your career, not only creatively, but on the business side, you have to have both. So David and Brett, uh, since we've heard that clip from Brett Michaels, I want to ask you guys a question. It used to be a thing, I think, that someone like you, Britt, could just be an artist. You didn't have to necessarily think about the business side of things in terms of your own career. You can't do that anymore, right? You have to be both a business person and an artist to make it as an artist, essentially, right?
0: Well, I think, you know, when you watch those behind the musics and things and you see all these amazing bands breaking up at like crucial times in their career at the high points and you're like, how could they have given that up? Well, it's because they didn't know the business. They signed bad deals. They got mad at each other and there was no way to move forward, even with all the success. So it's super important. And I'll say a quote from one of the master classes that we did during COVID with Roger Daltrey, speaking of him. He said, one of the biggest lessons I learned was never sign a contract when you're walking on or off the stage. You know, so they, you know, people try to trick you. Okay. They know you're you're an artistic person. They, do, they assume that you don't know anything about business. So you get in bad situations a lot, you know, uh, that happened a lot in the past. You watch any music documentary, there's always some part where somebody's trying to screw somebody. Yeah. So it's very important to do your homework and to know what you're signing and understand legal languages and know what you're entitled to.
2: So, while well, I agree with Britt. I disagree hmm. because back when Brian Epstein made deals for the Beatles, he didn't know that there were going to be DVDs. He didn't know what merchandise it was going to be. No one knew when they wrote a song, how, how valuable a song was. I remember Terry Kirkman wrote the song from the association Cherishes the Word. you you song said, hey, I need money. Give me $25,000. I'll give you my song. And I said, I'm not spending $25,000. You know, that song's probably worth a million dollars now. So I don't think that we really knew what the business was going to be. I don't think people knew about cassette tapes. Now, it's interesting, being around Ringo, and I'm just thinking now about those 15 years of me sitting in the van and hearing stories. I mean, that, that's that's a podcast in itself. Right? Yeah, I could just share the stories, but I know it's a lot of it's confidential. But just hearing the stories Ringo shared and Beatles stories, They created the business, they didn't know. I mean, you know, the fact that you always hear that Paul McCartney would would have to spend billions to buy back his publishing. Who knew that it was gonna be what it's gonna be? Who knew what the world was gonna be? Who knew Spotify was gonna, you know, no one knows about show business. And um, so do these bands sign bad deals? I don't think the managers knew. I don't think the lawyers knew. I don't think the agents knew. I don't think anybody knew even the even the record labels didn't know where the business was going to take and, and uh, sync licenses so yes some of the bands, you know, they would just sign the contract. Say, hey, I'm, I'm one of those guys. So I remember signing a contract to my first merchandising company, my first Happy Together tour, and I just signed the contract because I got a $15,000 advance. And after 120 shows, they sent me a bill for telling me I owed them $8,300 because all the expenses, they didn't sell any merchandise. And then I did it a year later myself, and I sold $250,000 worth of merchandise. <laughs> so, yes, there are other people like that. But then, you know, on the other hand, think of a record label they have to sign 10 bands for one band to make it. And they take a lot of losses and they took a lot of losses. So, you know, I I think that while a lot of bands were naive and bands like Aerosmith. They signed the way they're publishing and kind of a lot of songs. The Rolling Stones. I mean, did they get tricked? Yeah, you know, they got outsmarted or they didn't know what they were doing. You know, in our business, you're just so excited. Wow. I made that mistake myself. You think I read my contract with Fox TV now? I just signed it, you know, and I'm so excited. Fox is gonna do a reality series on Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And then about about a month later I decided, you know, I'm gonna stick this thing in AI and, and let it tell me in simpler language what it is. But our business is just so. You, once you get to that level, to climb the next level, you're just so excited to be doing this for a living, and and you don't read in between the lines, and or you don't even understand what it's saying. And right. even your lawyers, you know, these lawyers they talk to like they're talking other, to other lawyers, and and what made a lot of these lawyers, the biggest music lawyers, aren't the ones who went to Harvard, they're the ones who would hang out with the with the bands, and the same thing with the accountants. But, and then, you know, we talked about behind the music. It just reminded me of being on tour with Ringo and the bands would make fun of, the, you know, the name Advertising.
1: Every band was behind the music. Guys, I think that's a good place to end this episode for today. I just wanted to note real quick that to celebrate the launch of the podcast, we are giving away an electric guitar signed by Marty Friedman, formerly of Megadeth, Mike Portnoy of Dream Theater, and Zach Wilde, the legendary shredder from Ozzy Osbourne, now with Pantera, and a bunch of rock star counselors from Rock Camp. So all you got to do is follow and rate and review the pod on your favorite platform and to do so you can go to rockcampcom podcast brit lightning of vixen david fishoff the founder of rock and roll fantasy camp anything to add here i think we've hit it all
2: a camper a rock star and a promoter
1: that's leave, right leave the studio and <laughs>
0: live your fantasy it's never too late to live your fantasy that's
1: right live your dream i'm miles schumann brit david thank you guys so much i'm excited about this podcast
0: me too thanks we like to run!